NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. AFL Round 19 is here. Can you believe it? 19 rounds of AFL, and I'm here joined by Yuri today to talk about the AFL Round Preview. This is the Mojo Sports Network AFL Round Preview Show. Yuri, how are you today? Great to be on, Julian. And yes, already, hey, we're approaching ever so closer to the finals. The whole ladder predictor is just going up and down like the volcano at this stage. <laughs> and well, the whole news week's been somewhat been hectic, to say the least, but can't wait to dissect all nine games. And there's plenty of ramifications, as we always say, on the line. Exactly right. And we do have nine games to discuss, as Yuri just mentioned. So no long intros. We're just going to get straight into the action. Starting with Friday Night Football at Marvel Stadium. Gee, this is going to be a cracker of a game. Essendon versus Western Bulldogs, 7.50pm at Marvel. Uh, I'll just list out the team changes and then Yuri can talk about the game. So for Essendon, Andrew Phillips and Nick Cox come back into the side. Jai Menzi gets omitted. Nick Hind gets omitted along with Sam Wiedemann. And for the Bulldogs, Bailey Smith comes back with Buku Kames, Josh Bruce, and Oscar Baker. And out goes Bailey Williams omitted. James O'Donnell with an injury. Um, Sam Darcy got injured. Riley Garcia goes out, and so does Lachlan McNeil with an illness. A couple of milestone games. We have Alex Keith and Ed Richards playing their 100th game. Yuri, SNN versus Bulldogs. Bulldogs coming off a pretty disappointing finish against Sydney. Bontempelli was visibly frustrated after the match. And SNN super disappointed against Geelong. Two fast-paced, exciting teams. Love to play under the roof at Marvel. How does this one go? I think it should be a cracking contest, Julian. And all things favour the Bulldogs at this stage. They've won six of their last seven against Essendon. And Docklands hasn't been too kind for the Bombers against the Dogs over recent years. Their last win came back in round 21 of 2021, that game, which... Unfortunately, Josh Bruce, who is playing tomorrow night, he tore his ACL basically in the dying stages of that game. So mm. I think the biggest part for Essendon, and I thought this was a real, maybe not a surprise in a way, but Sam Wiedemann's omission because Brad Scott heavily defended him only a few weeks ago, just about the role he's been playing despite not kicking the goals. But now he's lost patience with him. And this is where a lot's going to fall on Peter Wright to kick his bag of six or seven. If he does what Jack Carlisle did in 2014, right, Julian? Do you remember that evening when he kicked eight goals? I do remember that, actually. Yes. Because he came to the Saints, and I remember that game. I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, this guy can really play up for it. Yeah, so if he can replicate anything very close to that, which he definitely he definitely can, they're going to be a chance. The biggest part, I think, for Essendon, though, is the Dogs' clearance game, and they monstered Sydney in that department. I think it was mm. 52-34 to clearance count. And mm. Bontempelli and Liberatore basically top five for clearances in the comp. I think Bontempelli is about 7.5 and Liberatore is about 7.9. So stopping those two, getting centre clearances and just clearances in general around stoppages is going to be key for Essendon to really get that slingshot game they like to get going from their back half all the way through to the middle and then up forward. I think Jai Menzies' own mission is also another surprise too, just for that ground-level presence. And he's provided in spades this season for Essendon. And the Bulldogs we spoke about last – well, not really last week because it was the Thursday night game, but I think the week before, just about the scoring after the first quarter, Julian, and I was patting down some notes yesterday afternoon in prep for the show. And you think of games against Geelong in round 12, they kicked five goals four. Against Port Adelaide in the opening quarter the following week, they kicked four goals five. Against Gold Coast, they kicked four goals three. The issue is, though, after first quarters, they can't seem to kick goals on a regular, consistent basis. And it's going to be the real question mark, I think, after the first quarter. Can the Bulldogs find enough 
scoring power when the game isn't on their terms? Because I think we saw after the first quarter against Sydney, once the Swans were at least somehow in different patches of the game able to match them in the stoppages, then that's, I think, where the Bulldogs lost their way. And at times they tend to lose their forward structure, and which is unusual in a way because considering when you have Jamar Hugo Hagen, you have Aaron Norton there, and just the whole dynamics of what those two bring. And that's going to be the other real question for Essendon is with Brandon Zerk Thatcher, who's had an excellent season but got once more towed up by Tom Hawkins last mm. Saturday night, had five goals kicked on him. And Jaden Laverde, who's also had another excellent season after coming back for, I think, that AC joint, which he injured during the Anzac Day clash against Collingwood in round six. He's also going to have a real key task on his hands because who do either one of them go to? Because Norton and Jamara both present different athleticism problems on both players. So that's going to be a question marks on that half too. I think also for the other part for Essendon too is just the midfield was well and truly beaten last Saturday night and Zach Merritt had a real tough time. I think we saw Mm. Mark O'Connor go to him and really do an excellent blanketing job on him. And then we saw numerous other Geelong players, including Max Holmes and I think Tom Atkins went on to him in various stages. So I don't think the Bulldogs will go with that. The Dogs don't normally opt for that tag in a way. So I think they'll just try and go straight up head-to-head on Merritt and try and, and negate his impact, which he always does. I think we spoke about a couple of shows ago, his impact defensively with his pressure acts is something which has really stood out this season. So I think this game's going to be high scoring again. That's why I believe. And they normally are between the two teams, normally 25, 26, 27 goals combined between the sides. And I can see that going that way too with the, with the two teams as well. I think the Bulldogs narrowly, I do think long and hard about it too. I just think somewhat just that little bit of extra class, I think will get them over the line by a couple of goals tomorrow night. I tend to agree. Moving over to the Saturday game, 1.45 p.m. Uh, don't sleep on the Hawks here. This is Richmond versus Hawthorne Hawks, 1.45 at the MCG. Um, out for the Tigers go Hugo Ralph-Smith and Morris Rioli. I want to talk about that one. And in comes Ryan Mansell. And then for the Hawks, out goes Fergus Green with that injury. Lloyd Meek gets omitted and in comes Samus Mitchell. Um, the Morris Rioli one I wanted to touch on was just that uh, for those of you who watched <laughs> against West Coast, he wasn't too <laughs> pleased when he got subbed out and he didn't want to answer the phone from the coach's box. And I, I thought that um, regardless of his performance, I think that some action needed to be shown for that. Just that's on a per- that's my personal opinion. You can't be responding like that. You're, we, this isn't the show where we talk too much about stories, but you know, if you can incorporate that into your analysis of this game, tell me how it plays out and, and mention Morris Rioli if you can as well. <laughs> Yes, I'll speak first on that, Julian. I did. I was watching that game last Sunday between West Coast and Richmond, and I thought this is probably the first time in some while that we've seen a player use. I'll use the term "spit the dummy" and not talk <laughs> to the coach after being taken out of the game. So that was something that was surprising because it seems though he's a pretty level-headed type of guy, mm. and I think criticism-wise, he can probably take on the chin. But it was extremely unusual for him not to pick up the phone and just talk to Minnie, Andrew McCorter's nickname, and just basically lay out where things didn't go right. So I think that part for Richmond for Saturday's clash against Hawthorne is, of course, his ground-level pressure, which he provides tremendous amount. And I think that's where at times Richmond do lack. And we've seen, of course, Liam Baker, I think, the last month mm. being shifted forward. And forward, that's yeah. giving him just that sort of different dimension, I think, because he does his best work across half-back. He, and also at times 
through the midfield. But I think where they've needed just that little bit more of a spark plug at ground level, he's provided to, I think not just the goals-wise, which I don't think it's really impacted much in a way, but I think just his marking too and his tackling in those aspects, I think his marking is something for his height as well, being five foot eight is something that really stands out. I think when Eddie Betts was playing, of course, during his glorious basically what 16 year career he he was a, one of the best overhead marks for his size and Baker is also a tremendous mark too considering he only what listed about I think 172 or 173 centimeters so I think just going to the game so and Ryan Mansell's the other one who's come in he of course served that three match ban all the way back in round 13 for that bump on James Ash, which saw his headband flying I think that was during the second half of that game as well so he also does provide that pressure too and I think something else that Richmond uh, are really looking forward to come the game as well. And Hawthorne as well, we saw, I think, of course, it was against North Melbourne. It was, of course, bound for one of those bottom three clashes anyway. But we saw what they wanted to do with the ball in hand in terms of the handballing side. And they really opened the game up once North Melbourne began to fatigue and couldn't quite go on their level. So I think it was something that was really promising too. And of course, Connor McDonald had a great game. John Newcomb had a great game with his 33 touches. Just a number of Hawthorne players that really just stepped up. And it's, they've been stepping up all season too, Julian. And, of course, they've had those really disappointing patches in play, of course, that first half against Port Adelaide, but also great results too against Brisbane St. Kilda we spoke about last week. So I think I feel as though it's going to be closer than what it actually looks as though. I think Richmond should – have enough poise to get done with through, of course, Dion Prestia and Tim Taranto and Dustin Martin. We see at times float through, of course, playing the deep forward and through the midfield. And Trent Cotchin, although he's not the Trent Cotchin, of course, that won the Brownlow in 2012 and led Richmond to its first flag back in 2017 in 37 years. And, of course, captain the Tigers to those three flags in four, four seasons. He still does provide just that amount of leadership and experience and still puts his head in and under the ball too. So that's going to be a real test, I think, for Hawthorne's young and upcoming midfield as well. Those bigger, tougher, hardened bodies of Richmond too. And also mentioning Jacob Hopper, who was tremendous as well in the contested situations, yes, last Sunday against West Coast too. I think that's the advantage where Richmond really has against Hawthorne. And, of course, the record over the last six years does – Sort of speak in spades as well. Richmond have had the real advantage over Hawthorne. And of course, that draw coming in the final round of the 2021 season, I'm pretty sure that was Sean Bergwald's final game too. And also Alistair Clarkson's final game as Hawthorne coach. So I think looking at as a whole, Richmond should just have enough scoring avenues, I think, as well. And I think one more area to touch on too, which of course, Hawthorne thrive upon as well with James Sisley's intercept marking is. Mm. We spoke about, what, a month ago with Marlon Pickett and his new role as a, you can call it a tag or a defensive forward role. And I think I wrote in my notes, just look for him to maybe perhaps go on James Sicily and try and yep. just hold him accountable and just try a different avenue to, to blanket his influence because, of course, they can't really stop his amount of marks. They can't stop his amount of kicks. But try and take me away from the contest a little bit. Maybe try and do what, I think we'd go a long way back, but to 2019 when Port Adelaide came with that very strategic devising strategy of separating West Coast defenders in 
Jeremy McGovern and Tom Brasson really organizing that chaotic ball. Of course, we've seen Richmond during that era cause a chaotic delivery on teams and really play the helter-skelter, push it at all costs from the back 50 through to midfield and all the way to deep inside their 450. So I think that's just another area to look forward to in that game as well come Saturday, Julian. Absolutely. And speaking of tags, as you mentioned with Sicily, I think Finn McGuinness is obviously a super tagger. And who does he go to? I mean, there's so many options. I don't know if he's quick enough to keep up with Bolton. So does he go to a Dusty? I don't think they'll try and quell Taranto's influence. So it'd be interesting to see who they chuck on him. And as you mentioned, the Sicily being uh, noticed a lot. I think North Melbourne did a good job kept keeping him to 17 touches with the Eddie Ford tag on him. So yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, we move over to your boys. Carlton Blues, they have gone four straight. And we did say on our podcast last week, it was a danger game for Port Adelaide. I said it had potential to be match of the round. It probably wasn't that, but... No, I don't think anyone expected a 50-point win to Carlton. Jeez, they are absolutely flying. They have Talk about a turnaround from where they were prior to that. Now, I'll just read out the teams quickly. For West Coast, Jeremy, Jeremy McGovern goes out injured. I think that's due to the concussion injury he had. And then Ruben Ginby with that hands, hamstring injury. Um, in comes Jack Petrocelli for the West Coast, West Coast Eagles. And then for Carlton, out goes Adam Chera with an injury. Harry Mackay with that injured knee. Patrick Cripps has been listed as injured. And Jordan Boyd goes out with suspension. In comes, this guy comes in and out every week. Ed Kerner comes back into the side, along with Lachlan Cowan and Oliver um, Hollands. Uh, Yuri, obviously, Carlton are very heavy favourites here. A dollar two, they're paying to win. Probably not a bad week to be, uh, I say, you know, rest in with quotes, Chera and Cripps, because I don't know if their injuries were that significant, along with Mackay's. But uh, West Coast, any chance here, are Carlton going to go five straight? Well, the boys should make it five straight, Julian. And considering, yes, you mentioned those outs with Cripps and Chera, and I saw knew that Chera was going to be out because they mentioned during the week, but Cripps' one was a bit unusual as well. There didn't seem to be too much. I think watching the game last Saturday against Port Adelaide where he sort of pulled up a bit sore. So I think it was probably the cautious approach for the Blues to take this weekend considering, of course, next Friday night's blockbuster against Collingwood. They should, of course have enough anyway to get the job done. We saw in round seven where they absolutely towed up West Coast to the tune of 108 points. I think the disposal count was like 452 to 285. Six Carlton players had 30 or more touches, mm. including Nick Newman and Sam Doherty. I think each had 34. Hewitt had 32. Walsh had 30. Same with Chera and Cripps had 33 that night. So, <laughs> yeah, I Crazy. think, again, I think what we've seen with West Coast too, Julian, is their – sort of method the last couple of weeks to revert back to the kick mark game, which really served them yeah. well during the premiership year of 2018 and probably served them well for, was it probably about the first five or six seasons under Adam Simpson. So I think the real sort of impetus again for West Coast is just the competitiveness. And we saw that against Richmond last Sunday where it looked as though Richmond won the first five minutes of the third quarter, just going to blow the game out to, what, 70, 80 points. And then West Coast just found that additional bit of resolve to cut the margin back and not be blown out of the water. And, of course, ultimately losing by 38 points. And, again, I think we saw after the first quarter against Brisbane, although they were just completely spanked by 81 points, that they probably did try to at least make the game sort of a grind-out fest. And that's really the only hope that they're going to have come Saturday's clash under the roof of Docklands against the Blues, Julian, if they do make it a real nitty-gritty type of contest because the way the Blues have been travelling, of course, the last four weeks and the whole contrasting elements to their game plan has been, and they pointed out really well in the on Footy Classified the last couple of shows, is 
where Carlton's pinpoint entries have been going inside 50, it's not been shallow where it's allowed the opposition to just roam around and take easy intercept marks. It's been deep. It's been 15 to 20 metres out. And the other part as well to Julian is that when Harry Mackay went down with that knee injury, I think it was about, I think, nine or ten minutes left in the first quarter. And they had to go with this different tactic of making a Leah Leah accountable. Of course, Jeremy McGovern won't be there this Saturday due to that delayed concussion symptoms. But it was a strategy slash formula that served the Blues well. And it really held Aaliyah Lick accountable with Kerno bringing the ball to ground level. And I think we'll see come Saturday the floating three with either Jack Silvani or Tom DeConing up forward. And I think most likely Barris will play on Kerno. But we saw, of course, back in round seven, Barris wasn't playing. Rep Bazo went on him. And I think Kerno had about three different opponents that night and, of course, ended up kicking a career-high nine goals. I think Elliot Yo was his second opponent too that night. So <laughs> I guess we'll find out to see what really happens come the first, again, five, ten minutes, whether Kerno does have two or three goals early on in the piece and whether West Coast decides to make that change. But Barris will get first dibs on him. But I think yet again, just the Blues, of course, have just gone back to their best with the real hunger and grunt with the contested ball, which, of course, served them so well during the first half of last season, which has come back, of course, this last month in the clearance count too, which has been another area which the Blues really look to get an advantage over opponents, and that's come back in real spades too. So I just feel as though, again, there's enough in the tank for the Blues to get it done, even though without trips in Crips and Chera and Harry Mackay out for the rest of the home and away season, unless the Blues make finals to get the job done and basically be right in the top eight hunt. And we'll make that Collingwood game even sweeter next week. We look forward to that. All right, moving over to another cracker of a game. We have Brisbane Lions versus the Geelong Cats at the Gabba, 4.35 p.m. on Saturday. Um, out for Geelong at this moment is just Mullen. Um, and in for Brisbane is Callum Archie and in comes Josh Dunkley. That's a big in. But sadly, Zach Bailey goes out injured. That's a big loss for the Lions. Jared Lyons gets omitted. It's a bit, bit sad because he does so well in the seconds and he comes in and he, and he did okay for Brisbane in those two games. But with Dunkley back on the side, he probably gets wedged out. And Devin Robertson goes out as well. Okay, Geelong coming off a massive win against the Bombers. Brisbane in fairly good form, and they'll be spewing after they dropped a four-goal lead to, to the Demons with seven minutes left. Uh, we know Brisbane are super strong at home. What do you think? How do you think this one plays out, Yuri? I think the home ground advantage should favour Brisbane, Brisbane, Julian. And, of course, they've won two of their last three against Geelong. But I think recent record, apart from those two wins from three games for Brisbane over Geelong, is the fact I think Geelong won about 16 of the last seven. I think dating back to, like, 2011 or 2010 at the time to 2017. So they enjoy playing at the Gabba and, of course, won those wins during that two – of course, they lost two or three against Brisbane This most recently was that 2020 prelim final. So I feel so they should give themselves every chance. Of course, Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron really firing, of course, with Hawkins last Saturday against Essendon kicking those five goals. And Brisbane, it's just – the whole fortress we've spoken about, the Gabba, where it's hard enough for teams to really gain an ascendancy on. And once Brisbane get a four or five goal advantage early, it's pretty hard to trim them back. So that's going to be the real key for Geelong because I think a couple of years ago, Brisbane shot at that early four or five goal lead and Geelong could never quite, cat, quite cut the deficit, shall I say. I think they end up losing by 
I think it was 44 points that night a couple of years ago. So I think look out for that area where Brisbane really get teams on that counter too. And of course, Josh Dunkley's return from that two-game absence from a calf injury is going to really, again, bolster Brisbane's in terms of the contested side and the clearance count. And I think this is one area for Brisbane to sort of take a real sort of close look at as well with what happened that final quarter, Julian, and you touched on excellently about how after they basically had a four-goal lead with seven minutes left and they basically went to into ultra-conservative mode. And it's not really the way where teams nowadays have that drive to put on goals in a hurry, three, four, five goals within a 10-minute patch. And that's where I think Brisbane went away from their real counter-attacking game plan and decided to go in their shells and conserve time. And you can't do that against Geelong because Geelong are exactly like Melbourne. They can pile on the goals in a hurry. We've seen it, of course, the first quarter last week against Essendon where basically the game was done and dusted from there. They had what, a 46-point lead and Essendon were basically fighting hammer and tongs from there just to make a contest of it. So, again, the big part, of course, Brisbane's intercept marking with with, with Harris Andrews. And the other part for Geelong too as well with Max Holmes's career best performance to 33 touches. And we saw last season it was basically a breakout year for him. And also Tom Atkins too is the other one that has also provided other injection after, of course, spending the first – I think it was two, three seasons of his career as a defensive forward. And he's also just added that extra vigor of pace, if you want to use, and juice through the midfield. So I think that's where Geelong probably can catch up Brisbane. And I found it sort of a bit, not suspect, but strange in a way with Brisbane in terms of the midfield pace where they're not one of the quickest teams, but it tends to be more with ball movement where they absolutely, when they're on, it cuts to, it cuts sides to ribbons, and that's where I think if they do get that going on their terms, I think it may be hard enough for Geelong. But I think yet again, it's going to be super close. That's the only way you can see this game panning out too. With Geelong really trying to make that push for the top four, and they spoke about I think it was on another show too about Port Adelaide's tricky fixture to come as well in this final month. That if results do go Geelong's way, they could well finish fourth. So mm. I think. Brisbane should just have enough cattle to get the job done for mine, Julian, too. You're right, the home ground advantage. It's funny, if this game was at Geelong, you'd probably be saying a different thing, so it's quite interesting how big that home advantage is. We'll move on to Fremantle versus Sydney at Optus Stadium at 7.40pm. We've got Caleb Sarong, Hayden Young, Josh Corbett, and Michael Frederick back in for the Dockers. Quite a few injuries, though. Bailey Banfield, Brandon Walker, James Aish, Nathan O'Driscoll, and Sean Darcy all out with injuries. And for the Swans, big in, we've got Chad Warner and Jake Lloyd back in. Ironically, Chad pushes Corey Warner out of the side. Lewis Melican gets injured, and Ryan Clark is out as well. Uh, if I recall correctly, Yuri Fremantle beat Sydney earlier in the year at, at, at the SCG. Um, Fremantle, I don't know. That's just so hard to tip. I don't know. How you can some of the swans though to be fair, but I, I I tend to lean towards the swans for this. But again, we talk about home ground advantage being super strong. How do you think this one plays out? I think Sydney too as well, Julian. Just Fremantle's whole downsliding form has just come at the most inconvenient of times. And of course, you touched upon the round nine clash, which was arguably at that stage Fremantle's best win of the season. They end up winning by twenty one points. Luke Jackson kicked the three goals and. Andrew Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong both had outstanding games. Likewise, Jago Amira. And now is when Sydney, of course, basically 
couldn't really buy a trick. I think Callum Mills injured his calf in the first five minutes of the game. Logan McDonald had that nasty ankle injury. But it's completely different at the moment. And, of course, Sydney bouncing back with that thrilling two-point win over the Bulldogs last Thursday night. And Fremale for, well, one quarter against Collingwood, Weddell just touched up with a 10-goal second quarter and could never really get themselves back in the contest. So I think, again, the whole scoring factors come back to really haunt them. They've only averaged about 64.3 points since the bye and they've only averaged 40.3 inside 50 entries. It doesn't bode well against Sydney. That's one thing for sure. And I think there's at least one part where Fremont could get them and that's through clearances. And Sydney, of course, the last couple of weeks have just been completely towed up, lost by minus 16 to Richmond in the clearance count in round 17. Of course, lost by a deficit of minus 18 to the Western Bulldogs last Thursday night. So that could well be an area. But again, with Sydney, with Nick Blakey, Errol Gordon, with his running every single time and just lethal damage with his disposal. I think he had 773 metres gained last week against the Western Bulldogs for his 30 disposal. So mm. if Fremont can't curtail those two, Blakey and Errol Gordon, and plus Ollie Florence as well, who's taking a substantial amount of pressure off Blakey's shoulders to give the Swans that significant amount of dash off half back. I think it's going to be a long night for Fremont. But I think somewhat story does tell quite a fair bit about the recent record between the two sides of the stadium because, of course, last year Sydney had that great win here by, I think it was 17 points. Chad Warner had, I think, got the three votes, I'm pretty sure, that night with the 35 touches. There was a great game two years ago. Fremont won by two points. And then in 2019, they won by solitary points. So I think there's enough motivation for Fremont to make the game close. But I think they've got to somehow make it a real slog fest. I think that's just the way it's got to be for them because, of course, the scoring's really died down. And Sydney, though, that's not the game they want to be really stuck in. Of course, they do like it at times, but their real drive is to get the ball in a real motion type of game and not allow those repeat number stoppages to take place, which, of course, happened during the first half of the Bulldogs clash last week. So, I think, again, Chad Warner's addition to just that extra dash through to midfield and Jack Lloyd, of course, having his two-match ban overturned for that football incident. We'll use that term on Lachlan McNeil. So I just think the whole areas where Sydney have got them covered, and especially, I think, too, with Logan McDonald and Lance Franklin and Joel Marty too, I think Fremont times do get a bit sort of in a way, there's a little bit of iffy-niffy, I think, with Fremont's defence, I think especially where Brendan Cox has the ball in hand too, I think Sydney may try and look to just try and pressure him a little bit more as well. And I think Alex Pierce too can be a bit vulnerable with ball in hand. So I think those are probably the areas where I think Sydney, when they're really on, should get the ascendancy over the Dockers, Julian. Let's get into this match. I can't wait any longer to talk about this. This has got to be the most anticipated match of the year, surely. It is Port Adelaide versus Collingwood Magpies. We have been waiting for this game for so long, and boy, there are some changes to the teams. And pretty stiff, some of these omissions. I'll, I'll start with Collingwood first. Ash Johnson, Billy Frampton, and Markov all get omitted. In comes Brody Marchek and Darcy Cameron. And for Port Adelaide, they have waved the axe as well. Darcy Byrne-Jones, that's not, not an omission. That's just an injury. He goes out with an injury. And then omitted is Dylan Williams, Jackson Mead, Jace Burgoyne, 
Ollie Lord, and a surprising one, Tom Jonas, gets omitted. But some big ins comes Charlie Dixon, Francis Evans, Jason Horn Francis, Trent McKenzie, and Willie Rioli. A couple of milestone games. We've got Nathan Murphy playing his 50th game, but the big one is Taylor Adams playing his 200th. Oh, let's talk about this game. How does it go? Yeah, it's going to be another absolutely belter, that's for sure, Julian. And both teams love to play at this breakneck speed where it's just all go, go, go. And that's where I think for teams that are looking up to how Port Adelaide Collingwood will play, that's the real module, right? And where I think we've seen over the years where coaches have had this real impetus of having a defensive coverage zone and trying to really bog the game down. I think Hinkley's gone back to just unleashing the shackles. And, of course, Craig McRae's done the same thing as well for the last couple of seasons since he took charge at the end of the 2020 season. So I think as well we saw back in round two, Julian, and this was completely different at the time. Port Adelaide, we didn't really expect them to be sort of within the trenches of the top eight and were just completely batted from pillar to post to the tune of 64 points. And Josh Dacos ran amok with those 32 touches and two goals. And I think Port Adelaide tried tagging Lockie Jones on him in the first quarter and that all but lasted the first quarter before they barely had anyone tagging on him and it was just a complete Collingwood avalanche from there that afternoon. I think they kicked 21 goals. I think, again, the real part we saw last week where Port Port Adelaide's vulnerable is in their back 50, Julian, and Collingwood, when they do feast upon, we spoke about pressure-wise, when they do create that perceived pressure on opposition teams, that's when they really pounce upon. And I think that's where, of course, Port Adelaide, again, faced the real brunt of it against Carlton last Saturday. And if they do find themselves in that real same situation again, it may well be a long night for them because Collingwood's record, the Adelaide Oval, is pretty good since teams started playing there back in 2014, Julian. I think they hold a 7-4 and four record there, which is pretty solid. It's one of the best out of all of the... 17 teams yeah 17 teams at the venue so I think the surprising outs as well of Oleg Markov he provided so much dash and has been every time he's got his opportunity to put on the Collingwood jersey and Billy Frampton the other one too is the real surprise but that's the in terms of the sort of depth that Collingwood have in terms of the players that they can have in and out of their best 22 with Brody Marchek, as you mentioned, Darcy Cameron coming back into the team. Of course, Marchek missed the last couple of games due to hamstring tightness. So I think Port Adelaide, there's enough to just get back on track too. And I think it was bound to happen. You spoke about it before the Carlton West Coast preview too, that there was something just in the air that perhaps Port Adelaide's 13-game winning streak may well be broken. And of course, that did eventuate last Saturday. So I think, again, the whole Collingwood midfield we spoke about last week too, just they float through not just four deep, five deep, six deep, seven deep. Taylor Adams goes through there from his half-forward role, which he's played predominantly more this season at times playing through midfield. So there's a whole bunch too. And I think the other part too for Port Adelaide, and I think we speak about it for other teams as well, is Darcy Moore and Nathan Murphy's intercept marking. I think I forgot to touch upon Murphy's marking too, and we speak every week about Darcy Moore's ability just to read the contest and take those five, six, seven intercept marks a game. But Nathan Murphy also provides the same game as well as Moore does, and I think Port Adelaide fall into that trap yet again, then it's going to be difficult for them because I think scoring-wise, that shouldn't be the issue, but it's just that last part if they do fall to Collingwood 
where they love to zone off so much, then that's going to be a problem for them. I think narrowly, though, Collingwood should just get the points in this one too, Julian. It's going to be super close to the round. It's going to be a real battering finals-like contest and could well be sort of reminiscent to 2002, right, the qualifying final between the two sides. Really hope the neutral fans get what they deserve. And going over to the Portress, we know their fans are going to be behind the Port Adelaide Power. And I think what I like about this matchup is that both teams have had this matchup in their sights. And I look at last week, Tom Mitchell being managed, Penderbury being subbed out super early, Zach Butters, like an NBA style, getting rested in the fourth quarter. They're, they have got their eyes sighted on this game, and I hope it plays out to be everything we expect it to be. All right, moving over to the Sunday games where we have extended interchange benches, so don't take these teams as final. I I can't. I must admit, I don't get overly excited by this matchup. It's GWS Giants versus Gold Coast Suns. I probably shouldn't say that, but nonetheless, we will go through the game and we'll analyze it as we do. For the Giants, again, extended interchange. So Finn Callahan, Matt Flynn, and Nick Haynes are all names that could be in contention. And for the Gold Coast Suns, out goes Fiorini, but in comes Chris Burgess, James Tissas, is it? Yeah, Satsis, I think, yeah. Gee, there you go. It shows my knowledge of Gold Coast. Jai Farah and Malcolm Roses. How does this one play out? Do GWS Orange Tsunami continue their fine form? Or do the Gold Coast, who were quite good against the Saints, show some fight? I think what we saw last week, right, Julian, it's almost that sugar hit. We'll use the term sugar hit. For I was watching the game last week on KO, and it was really evident the tackling pressure, I think, right from the outset. And... St. Kilda couldn't generate any ball movement mm. whatsoever. It was super stagnant all afternoon. And I think you almost think to yourself, where's this been all season for Gold Coast? I think the only time where they've had this immense amount of pressure from basically the first minute of the game all the way to the 120th minute is basically that round nine transfer West Coast to the tune of 70 points or even the Western Bulldogs game. Maybe maybe if you exclude the first quarter. But again, that's what they have to bring in week in, week out because – we saw, of course, with the Giants. I was watching the game last Saturday night against Adelaide. And I'll have to say this, Julian, that's arguably one of their best road wins, I think. There have been many great road mm. wins that the Giants have had in their club history since entering the competition in 2012. And, of course, 2021, that elimination final against Sydney down in the Apple Isle definitely is one of them. Of course, that being a final. But this one matches right up there. And we saw Adelaide in various patches during the second half and I think late in the first half threatened to kick away to a 5-6 goal lead. But the Giants just found this little bit of incentive in terms of the tackling pressure. I think they laid about 79 or so tackles last Saturday night. And there must have been, you know this very well too, that one incident where Josh Rochelle and Harry Perryman and people say, oh, Harry Perryman landed his, what, forearm onto Rochelle's chest. Yeah, okay. But that's all really... I think sort of gave the spark plug in a way for the Giants to not back down to Adelaide's, well, their game plan of trying to really make it a hell to skelter like many of the other teams, including Port Adelaide and Collingwood, when they're absolutely their damaging best. And the Giants, for all we talk about the Orange Tsunami, turned it into a real sort of attritional game and really a contested style of game and a clearance game where I think Adelaide, do tend to get bogged down. And we saw that times against Essendon only a couple of weeks ago in that contest. So I think that's where Adelaide really lost the plot. And of course, Josh Rochelle lost the plot in the process. And Steve Keneally was fantastic. Josh Kelly had that great bounce back game. Lockie Whitfield, of course, magnificent half back. And 
I think that was a real driving incentive for the Giants that they can play two different styles of football where it's attacking, but at the same time when they're on the back foot and just need to somehow put the ice cooler for at least five or six minutes is to turn it into a real stoppage style of game. And that's what served them extremely well during those periods of time where Adelaide, as mentioned, threatened to turn the game into their advantage and put the game out of the Giants' reach. So I think yet again, I think speaking again of recent records between the two teams, Julian, it has been pretty close. And we saw last season, of course, the game was effectively over by halftime. The Giants had that five, six goal lead and Lockie Ash did that stellar job on Tuke Miller, restricting the 17 touches. I don't see that tag happening, but again, we'll find out, right, come Sunday, because that could well be a trick up at coach Adam Kingsley's sleeve that he does decide to use and whether him and an assistant's during the week, just watch that footage of the last contest between the two teams in round three last season. I think, yet again, just the whole Giants mixture of their best football, but also incorporating the defensive aspect, just I think it's going to be, I think, just enough to get the four points as well over Gold Coast. But if the Suns do just at least maintain the tackling pressures they did against St. Kilda and get, get, of course, Ben King and Jack Lukosius into the game early, then they're going to be right up to it into the final two minutes. You never know with Gold Coast. Moving over to Melbourne versus Adelaide, 320 at the MCG. There are honestly so many different names here and ins, and I, I do not think these teams will be anywhere near what this says. So I might just read out the the key ones. So Melbourne, Brody Grundy is listed in the ins, but I'm not sure if that means he's going to be back in the side. I know there's been a lot of talk about Grundy. Um, Michael Hibbard's another name that might be in. And for the Adelaide Crows, Rory Laird goes out injured. Of course, Rochelle, who we just talked about on suspension. And Matt Crouch comes into the side for the Adelaide Crows, and he's actually listed on that starting lineup. And I think with Laird out, he's definitely someone who will be in. Um, Harry Schoenberg's another one who might come back as well. Yuri, Melbourne, oh, they looked a bit off lately without Oliver, but then, you know, the way they responded against the Lions in that last seven minutes was typical Melbourne, kicking goals so quickly. Petrarca's looking good up forward. Their back line is still solid strong. The other Crows, you know, that disappointing loss against the Giants, I don't know if they fared too well at the MCG. For me, I'm leaning towards Melbourne. What do you think? Yeah, Melbourne likewise too, Julian. And just speaking of Adelaide, sort of woes against Melbourne at the MCG. So, again, was doing some prep. Their last win against Melbourne came all the way back in round 15, 2016. That was mm. a Sunday twilight clash back then. So, it's basically been seven years since Adelaide last beat them at the home of football. And, again, we saw that final quarter where – we saw Melbourne's attacking side for the first quarter and then when Brisbane got on their terms and Melbourne sort of fell down in terms of their forward structure, which has been so highly documented at the best of times. And then they regained in that final quarter within that final seven-minute patch when they completely went ballistic. And Jake Melksham's addition, right, and we spoke about with Bailey Fritch being ruled out for the rest of the home and away season due to that foot injury. And Melksham's, I think, significance to the team needs to be highlighted because we saw back in 2018 when he was a regular member of Melbourne's best 22, Julian, he kicked 32 goals. He provided that forward pressure in a way. He provided just a sort of another medium forward target as well. And, of course, the four goals against West Coast back, I think it was the second last round of that 2018 season, which was arguably one of Melbourne's best home and away wins and ultimately end up securing Melbourne a finals berth back then for the first time in 12 years. He's going to have another real important part to play for the remainder of this home and away season. So that's just one thing I wanted to touch upon heading into the game. And I think for Adelaide too, as well, 
we spoke about. It's the ball movement where they just continuously want to utilize at every single stage. But again, the Eston clash two weeks ago under the roof of Docklands, I think sort of left Matthew Nix pondering a fair bit about Adelaide's defensive side when they do step out the doors of the Adelaide Oval. And that's where I think the issue is going to be. I think a couple of years ago where I think it was, was it, I think it might have been round, I'm pretty sure it was one of the last rounds of the 2021 season when there was no fans in attendance and Melbourne pretty much stitched them up that afternoon. So again, the whole pressure for Adelaide again and where teams basically need to, again, have to take this conscious approach is negating both Lever and May because if they do fall in that same bait, then it's going to be a long game for them. It's going to make it difficult. And for Melbourne, of course, shifting Petrarca at various stages, but more predominantly spending time up forward. Gee whiz, who does go on to him? Because mm. we saw last week with Mark, Max Michael Annie, and I think we spoke he would most likely get the matchup on Toby Green, which he did, and Toby kicked three goals on him. And I think he's going to get Petrarca this Sunday. I think that's where you look at in terms of the matchup. And it's going to be another good learning test for him as well, arguably against the best midfield in the competition. I think we have to say that. So that's something to look forward to in that regard. And you mentioned, of course, Matt Crouch, Julian, and I'm pretty sure it's his first game this season. Mm. And and if he is, and most likely will be, named in Adelaide's 22 come, I think, tomorrow afternoon when those team sheets do finally get announced. So I think just because of Rory Laird's injury too and just providing another contested grunt, which Adelaide need, of course, against midfield against Melbourne's deep midfield. So I think, again, we've seen with Melbourne with Angus Brayshaw being thrown back into the coalface side and him providing that extra vigour, which he always does anyway, Julian. You can't question that. And he did it last Friday against Brisbane. I think finished with, what was it, 29 touches, mm. if I'm not mistaken, 26 or something? Yeah, yeah no, somewhere around 29, there. Yeah, 29 yeah, touches, 20, um, so, tackles, uh, yeah, 160. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something like that. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, so... Again, that's where Adelaide going to find the real test too, I think, mm. to Julian come Sunday. And I just think yet again, the whole unpredictability with Melbourne and we saw again against Brisbane when the game was on the line, they delivered. And I think the whole question marks, we still sort of lay a finger on Adelaide. And that was the real blow last week, losing the Giants at home because, yeah. gee whiz, their schedule for the remaining five matches after this isn't so easy. Not great signs for the Crows. Moving over to the last game, we've got five minutes left and we're going to talk about Saints versus North Melbourne. Danger, danger, I think, for the St. Kilda Saints. North are not going to be that easy and St. Kilda, they love to disappoint. <laughs> Just when you expect them to win, these are the type of games they drop. I think we get over the line, but I would not be surprised if this is closer than people think. Um, again, so many changes in and out to the teams. I'll just note the the big ones. I, I thought Jack Paris, who, who who's listed as omitted, is pretty stiff, although that probably speaks well into the Saints' depth, even though they haven't been that superb in the last few weeks. They, they've got some big names back with Billings and Jack Higgins. Um, and for North Melbourne, um, Hugh Greenwood, uh, Todd Goldstein and Will Phillips are among the, the names with some other ones on the extended interchange as well. Um, geez, I don't know where to start with the Saints. Honestly, they just look woeful with the inside 50 entry. They need to spark something big. Um, and, and so we haven't talked much fantasy in betting tonight, but St. Kilda averaged the most opposition disposals this year. So I'd be looking at players like Sheasel, Luke McDonald to get over Sheasel 25 to 30 touches, Luke McDonald 
20 touches. This is the game to add North Melbourne players to your disposal multis. Yuri, all right, as a neutral supporter, do the Saints just cruise over this one, or is there a chance for North Melbourne, who I will point out are being coached by Brett Radden as well? Oh, wow, Julian. I think we only have to track back to round eight, which can we almost say it was arguably one of the worst games of footy to watch? <laughs> oh, wow. No, I don't want to say that, but it I was there. True. It was <laughs> It was oh, it was just not fun viewing. I think there was only twelve goals combined that <laughs> afternoon. It was, I think it was something like eight goals, sixteen, sixty-four to four, ten, thirty-four. There was three goals in the first half. Julian, right. mm. will you be surprised mm. if there's only again twelve goals combined for the entire game? <laughs> not at all. I don't know where our goals come from. Thank gosh, Jackie Higgins <laughs> is back in the side. Otherwise, I'll yeah. be agreeing with you. Yeah, that's the worry because we saw last week. They tried Mason Wood up for it. And of course, mm. that's where Wood first began his career. And I thought last week they were going to throw Dougal Howard up for it. Just to yeah, you did mention that. Provide, yeah, provide just a bit of a different dimensional spark because, of course, with Max King being ruled out for like, the next number of weeks, even though St. Kilda, we last week, uh, highly optimistic he'll return before the end of the home and away season. And then North Melbourne, too, is the other one where oh, goals have been a nightmare to come from, despite what Nick Larkey kicking what 44 goals this season, having another mm. great campaign. And I think we look over the years too, Julian, with the two sides, and usually there have been one-sided affairs, and there have only been three close encounters, and those three close encounters were all low-scoring games. So 2020, the first round, round 15, 2011. Remember Nick Rewan? I think he shanked one of his first kicks, and then I think his second or third kick, he kicked it straight through middle. And I think St. Kilda won by nine points. Mm. And in round 21, 2009, which North Melbourne won by five points, and there was only a combined 18 goals kicked that Sunday afternoon. And I think it was St. Kilda's second loss in a row after losing to Essendon, which snapped a 20-game winning streak to start that 2009 season. So, yeah, it, over the last 14 years, Julian, it hasn't really been high scoring, but also at the same time, it's been lopsided affairs either between north either north winning comfortably or St Kilda winning convincingly so I think yet again it's going to be on the earlier where I think both teams are just going to find it extremely difficult to generate enough scoring power and I was documenting to the last five to six matches especially for both sides North Melbourne only averaged about 66.8 points their last I think it's five games and St. Kilda have only averaged about 66.7 points. So it doesn't make for great reading, right, for <laughs> how much goals are going to be scored come Sunday afternoon under the roof at Docklands. That's the way I look at it. Not um, the most exciting matchup to end the round, but yeah, I, I think the Saints do get it done, but just you just never know with them. I think one thing that is in our favour is that North Melbourne play West Coast next week. <laughs> so hopefully they'll have that in their mind, thinking about that game as a win, and we don't have to be their team that they finally end the streak on. All right, that brings us to the end of AFL Round 19, the preview that is. We, we're about to kick off the round on Friday night. No Thursday night game tonight, sadly. It's going to be a bit sad without footy tonight, but it means more yeah. footy on Saturdays, which is good. <laughs> It is good, Julian, and that is the last Thursday night home and away game until pretty sure the first week of the finals when mm. those fixtures do get released in the lead up to it. So, no, really looking forward to it, hey, Julian, and yeah, again, just awesome the whole impetus of games and, of course, there's those few ones which probably take a yawn and away, but they still <laughs> have significant consequences moving forward, especially for St. Kilda, right? I think the next two weeks are 
going to be important if they do bank those next couple to somewhat just give them that little bit of a cushion in the eight. Absolutely. As you said at the start of the show, the ladder is just changing week by week and it is so it's so volatile the way that it's changing. But I look forward to seeing the results. I really am looking forward to that Port Adelaide Collingwood game. Not going to lie. That is for me is going to be match of the round. I really, really hope it lives up to the hype. Um, cannot wait to see how that one goes. Yuri, was there any shows or any pieces that you were writing? I know you, you've got some cool articles coming out you want to mention. Yes. Yeah, so just recently put up one on Tuesday, Julian, just on the Ashes too, and just everything's on the line at the moment. What we've seen through the three, first three tests, and of course the fourth test at Old Trafford started last night with Australia 8 for 299 at Stumps. I think I, I stayed up to midnight to watch the majority of the opening days play and just – it seemed as though every time Australia had a partnership going and England hit back, and of course, Stuart Broad taking 600th wicket in the process and, of course, becoming only the second Englishman to take 600 or more wickets, joining James Anderson, who's edging ever so closer to the 700 test wicket mark. So, again, it should be another fascinating second day's play and, of course, weather permitting, of course, I think days four and five. So that could well determine the outcome of the fourth test. And another one I've got coming up as well. I've just finished putting a draft together today is just a little bit of a revisit back to the 2013 first round series. And I don't think it gets spoken about too much in terms of first rounds, but the Brooklyn Nets and Chicago Bulls, that was a great series. So that piece will be up come Saturday morning. I'm looking to get that one up too, because that was one of the more, I think, unheralded great Chicago Bulls playoff series victories under coach Tom Thibodeau for my join. So that one will be up come Saturday. Fantastic. Look forward to those. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on the Mojo Sports Network. We look forward to seeing how the AFL plays out. We've got many other shows. We've got the NBA show. We've got the AFL show on Tuesday as well and some fantastic NRL shows and more on the Mojo Sports Network. So make sure you check that out on Spotify or your podcast app. Thanks so much for joining me, Yuri. Um, Look forward to talking to you next week and seeing how the games go. Absolutely, Julian. Cheers for having me. 